Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How you doing? Good morning. You're listening to The Arts House on Cork's 96FM and C103. It's Elmery Maud at the microphone with you until 10. Connor Tallon's also here ready to go. About a week late on my forecast last week that the sun would be shining. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, at least as we are doing this, obviously, from home again. Um, COVID has been and gone. We're on the road to recovery, but still still working from home for the moment. Uh, so sending our best well, get well wishes to everyone who's actually struggling through it right now. It wasn't easy. No. A couple of rough nights, to be fair. Let's just look forward. Looking uh, forward. That's it. Onwards. Stronger for it. Onwards and upwards. In fact, great guests on the show for you later on today. We're going to be chatting with Cork girl Murin O'Mahony, who is from Ballincollig, but is now touring the world with Celtic Woman. We'll be celebrating brand new writing with Cork playwright Irene Kelleher, who's joining us about a brand new play which is opening in the Cork Arts Theatre this week. And celebrating the return of beautiful chamber music concerts on tour with the Vanbrugh's Keith Pascoe shortly. And I've got two things coming from the Crawford Art Gallery this week, although their doors are closed. I'm talking to Assistant Curator Michael Waldron about what they've planned for the next couple of weeks, why the doors are closed. It's amazing news altogether. And also, we're looking at this week's Work of the Week, which is coming all the way from Gay Perry. Well, right now, I suppose all eyes are heading to Hollywood because, of course, tonight is Oscars night. And in honour of that, we'll be peppering the programme with lots of beautiful music from the movies, like this one. Always asked a lot for this one, actually, on the text line. Oh, by the way, we can't actually see your text and WhatsApps again this morning. Sorry about that, because obviously we're doing this remotely. So, Mila, 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 apologies. But when people do text in, this is one of the ones they ask for quite often. It's the beautiful theme from Dances with Wolves. Thank you. 
Oh, well, there's no denying that's such a relaxing piece and more movie music to come later in the programme. resolutions in lockdown that you were going to do more things for yourself. Well, here's a chamber music concert you might write into the diary for next weekend. As the Vanberg Quartet have four concerts next weekend to start the month of April. They've chosen two superb quintet pieces with gorgeous melodies to really satisfy all audiences. It'll give you that sense of peace and well-being you're after. And Emery had a chat with the Vanborough violinist Keith Pascoe. Keith, it is always lovely talking to you. It is always joyful hearing about something that the Vanborough are doing. Um, And particularly when it is a world tour of Cork, which is a fantastic way to start (laughs) off the month of April. A world tour of Cork. I love it. Hello, Elmer. It's always a delight to talk to you also. Yeah, and we're doing a very compact tour. Like, um, It seems to work very well, actually. On the weekend, Chris Marwood, who's brilliant mind behind really the National String Quartet Foundation, he's found that it really works. It's an intensive weekend of us doing like uh, maybe two main concerts and two smaller concerts and including uh, young people in it as well as uh, some kind of educational aspect, which it's, it's, it's a great little sort of, yeah, as you say, a world tour, of course. <laughs> and also, he's brought on lots more venues, which is really exciting. Because I mean, this particular weekend, we're, we're hitting two new uh, venues that we have never been to. So we're going to Bandon, uh, Bandon on Saturday, the second of April, the Methodist Church, in the evening at eight pm, and then on Sunday we're, we're going to Donnerail to the Convent Theatre, and all these are new venues. Mm. You know, at three pm on Sunday. Um, so it. it exciting to have new venues as well. That is great. So tell me about the two pieces that are at the centre of this particular concert tour. They really are two gorgeous string quintets. Yes, Brahms and Dvorak. They usually go together, unlike, you know, the uh, most people think, you know, Brahms and Liszt go together, but that's that's only <laughs> um, when you are inebriated. So Brahms and Dvorak <laughs> <laughs> Brahms and Vorjak are very joined together, actually. And yet they're so different. Brahms is more the Teutonic German, okay, m- Middle Europe. But Dvorak also would have been called Bohemian, because that part of the world, which is now called Czechia or Slovakia, that was Bohemia. So he was Bohemian and, and, uh, and Brahms more Teutonic German. And yet Brahms, he was the elder composer. He, was, he admired Dvorak. Uh, a lot. And um, I've always said that, you know, you've had to choose Brahms or Vorjak. I choose Vorjak. It's just something very, I don't know, it's like sort of Everton and Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> it's as easy as that. Ooh, you know? ooh, it, ooh. Uh, <laughs> I, I just think um, Vorjak has this wonderful spirit, natural folkiness that Brahms had to find himself. He had to kind of collect, if you want to say mm-hmm. that. 
And I think Vorjak, it was a much more natural thing from, from his, his own background, you know. But this, this piece of Vorjak, which is a quintet for two violas, it's sometimes referred to as the American quintet. You know, everyone knows about the American quartet, which preceded it literally uh, on, this is on its heels along with the symphony you know the new world from the new world the ninth symphony by Dvorak which he he'd written on holiday in Spillville Iowa which he he was his holiday I have no idea it's probably very remote I must get a map out and look where Spillville Iowa is probably in it does sound remote doesn't it yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah but it was his holiday vacation from his directorship which he held in New York from I think it was 1892 to 95, something like that. He actually had a few years stint there as director of that uh, conservatory. So he had, his holiday was spent in Spillville, Iowa, where presumably he had time to compose. And um, this quintet is full of those kind of American, I, I think when they, it's nicknamed American, but I think it refers to more sort of American Indians or Afro-American music, wh- whatever he'd heard over there. And yet it's, it's, it's innately Czech, Bohemian. It's very Central European and full and full of melody and uh, the most extraordinary harmony and variations. And so I am biased because I think projects. <laughs> Come here, I Keith. I think that's kind of, I think that is kind of fairly plain shining through. <laughs> it is true, you know, and I, I love when you kind of put some of the various composers' works in the context of where they were, what they were doing at any one particular time. Some works would obviously have been done to commission, others purely inspired by where the composer was in their life at the time. And, you know, the fact that Dvorak wasn't this big, huge residency in America and he, yeah. he really had quite, quite a time in the States. And it's it's funny to think of Dvorak on his holidays in Iowa. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, getting inspiration yeah. from the musical friends he was surrounded by and all of that mix as well with, as you said, the true, true bohemian history feeding in. And I suppose all of that comes to why we have these just such gorgeous melodies in this. It is, yeah. And, and I think there's, there's always a sense, I suppose, like uh, any sort of expat, if you want to call it that, where they, they, they're missing their homeland as well. And there's a sense of this kind of nationalism, which, of course, 19th century, you know, we all learn in music history that that was when nationalism uh, emerged in music and and. Um, so he, he, this is a good example, you know, it probably influenced by things he heard in America, but actually it's so European mm. <laughs> as well. So it's, it's kind of maybe a composer missing home. I mean, the journey must have been incredible, actually. Think about it, to get from, you know, uh, the, from, from Bohemia to New York at that time. <laughs> it must have taken an age. And, and then to Spillville, Iowa from New York. So mm. the journey's involved. Colossal, really.
we're almost leaving Brahms by the wayside, the poor fellow. <laughs> no, we can talk about Brahms. <laughs> and you see, Brahms the thing is, is, Brahms, when he was writing his quintet that you're featuring, he wasn't necessarily based anywhere for work, but he was on his holidays as well when he finished this one, wasn't he? Yes, that's right. That's right. He was, he was on his holidays as well. I think composers um, compose on holiday because, of course, they have teaching jobs like the rest of us. So I mm. suppose they, they have to kind of find time to compose their own stuff. To earn money as a composer, any at any age, even today, is it's very hard. So I imagine you know the you know the day job had to be done, and that was that was obviously part of it. So the holidays were at the time where they could actually do some composition. As recently as last year, I remember talking to John O'Brien, and he was yeah. talking about you know going on holidays, trying to find Airbnbs with pianos, um, <laughs> you know, because well, yeah. you know you you. You Good would, that one. as right. a composer, exactly. But as a composer yeah. or someone who wants to work and to be inspired on your holidays and uplifted and that sort of thing, you you would yeah. want to see if, if such a thing was possible. So Brahms was going around, not necessarily looking for a plug-in Casio keyboard, but he definitely was composing, no. <laughs> on, his, composing on his holidays. And, and this is one of those pieces. Yeah, definitely. Um, the two viola thing goes back earlier, much earlier to the classical period, so the 18th century and Mozart. And Boccherini, of course, but the, the two violas does add that texture, as you say, to to the. But it also is quite uh, symmetrical if you think about how it looks, as well as two violins on the left and two violas on the right, and the middle is the cello. There's there's a kind of architectural symmetry about about it as well, which is also it comes out in, in the sound as well. You know, it's a sonic symmetry. That's just it doesn't sound too pretentious. Sonic mm-hmm. symmetry. There is this kind of yeah balance which. Um, is is quite wonderful, and he uses this kind of antiphonal thing. So the two violins will have something together, and then the two violas will have something together. So there is that kind of um, how would you call it? Yeah, antiphony, I suppose, is, is the word. It's a humongous uh, symphony, really. This quintet by Brahms. Um, it's uh, got a, an amazing slow movement, really extraordinary key changes, um, like Dvorak as well. But Dvorak's harmony is innately different. That's how we know that we can tell the difference between Georgian and Brahms. They use different harmony. The melodies wouldn't be miles apart. It's just the, the harmony they, they underpin the melodies are very, very different. These are beautifully paired together for this concert series next weekend. So over the three days of Friday, Saturday and Sunday, you're actually playing four yes. concerts. Where can people get the details of the concerts, Keith? Because you're going from right. UCC on Friday, then you have Balancholic and Bandon, the two Bs, on Saturday, yes. and then Donna Rail on right. Sunday. How do people find out which concert is on yes. where? Well, first of all, if you forget what I'm going to tell you where they are, it's the this website's nationalstringquartetfoundation.ie. So it's N-S-Q-F, nationalstringquartetfoundation.ie. And it's all the details are there. But I suppose I should just tell you that there's a, it starts on a Friday lunchtime at UCC. Well, we are playing the Vorjak Quintet only then because we're, we've invited uh, a young a quartet of students from the MTU Cork School of Music, the Talia Quartet, and they're going to play a movement of Beethoven, which is great. And then that's the Friday done Saturday. We're starting at 11.30 uh, a.m. in Balancholic at the Kaloshta Column, also with the Talia Quartet. So we're doing that same concert again at 11.30 a.m. on the Saturday. And we're joined at that concert by the ETB Junior and Youth Orchestra. It's going to be a bit of a jamboree, that one. So apparently tickets for that one is €10. Euro. And then on 
that Saturday evening, uh, we got off to Bandon, as I said, the Methodist Church on 8 p.m. on Saturday the 2nd of April, doing both Dvorak and Brahms. And then on the Sunday, the 3rd, at 3 p.m., we're at the Convent Theatre in Donorail. And it, there's a number. Shall I give you the number for that one for tickets? Do. Why not? Okay. Okay. Oh, eight seven two four nine eight six double two for tickets for the Dvorak and Brahms at the Donorail uh, the Convent Theatre. Uh, and all the details can be found on the, the NSQF National String Quartet Foundation dot IE. Keith Pascoe, it's always a pleasure. Uh, These concerts sound just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Elmarie. Looking forward to it all. You can listen back to the podcast to get the phone number or, as Keith said, the website nsqf.ie. Sounds so joyful. I can see why Keith Pascoe was so excited about playing it next weekend. Sounds like four fantastic concerts. Now, our next movie music tribute this morning is a song written by Lee Harlan and Ned Washington for Walt Disney's 1940s adaptation of Pinocchio. The original version was sung by Cliff Edwards in the character of Jiminy Cricket. And it's heard over the opening credits and in the final scene of the film. And it won the 1940 Academy Award for Best Original Song, making it actually the first Disney song to win an Oscar. In the 1980s, it became the signature song of the Walt Disney Company and its principal motif is still used at the beginning of many Disney films. So this morning, here's a gorgeous orchestral version of When You Wish Upon a Star.
Welcome back to the programme. And if that has given you a little bit of a taste of La France, well, that's the general idea. Music there from the soundtrack to the movie Ratatouille, because we are going to get a little bit of a taste of France in this week's Work of the Week. This week's Work of the Week is a street scene from Paris, circa 1930, by Yvonne Marriott. It was a particular favourite of James Joyce's, who lived in Paris. Now, he loved this particular scene as much as I loved it. It was great to be able to take a little flight of fancy. So I spoke to assistant curator Michael Waldron about the painting and also about some news about the gallery, which bodes well for the development of the gallery as one of Ireland's national art spaces. Mike, you didn't know and I didn't expect this. You've effectively sent me a postcard from France that was made in the 1930s and was a particular favourite of James Joyce and it's really apt. I'm actually thinking of the sun at the moment. I don't know why, but (laughs) I'm just looking out the window and I'm thinking of, yeah, sunnier climes, nicer places, places abroad, let's get away. And sure, that's that's what paintings like this do. They help you escape, you know, and they helped us escape for a couple of years there when everybody was unable to escape. This is a lovely, lovely piece of work altogether. And we're in Paris. Exactly. And I suppose, yeah, some of our work of the week over the last two years have transported us to places that we haven't been able to visit, but we would dearly like to be. And so, yeah, this is a street scene in Paris in the 1930s. And it's kind of suburban. So you have trees and a winding street. So it's not the boulevard, the centre of Paris. No. But it's a very French scene. You know, there's a small hotel on the left hand side with its louvered shutters above the, the shop sign. Yeah. And there might be a little bit of a suggestion of a, a, a terrace for dining on one side. Yeah. It's, it's very easy. I think you feel at ease. But the focal point of, of the scene is there is a vegetable seller and she has stopped her cart, her hand cart, <laughs> in front of this hotel and she's clearly selling some veg. <laughs> and there's a little dog lying underneath her cart so she has a companion. Oh, yes. You have then the, the staff member from the hotel coming out. We don't know what they're saying, but, you know, it's it's a scene of everyday life. Definitely, yes. And it's gorgeous. It's a nice, cute, small little, is it a pension kind of hotel? You know, it's like a halfway house between a B&B and a hotel. It looks really cute and small, like only two windows over the main entrance into into this part of the street. And you know, it could be any street in Cork. It could. And actually, your description of the hotel is spot on. It's one of those very small little places, very local. Mm. You can imagine, you know, there's probably a little bar downstairs and <laughs> a really traditional French type cafe. And yeah, it it does feel like it could be anywhere in many ways. Yeah, it yeah. does feel like it could be here in, on a nice sunny day. Yeah, But there is a specific French flavour to it. And maybe it's because there are blue and red colours within it so it kind of 
themes like the French tricolour is, is draped oh, over yeah. the theme as well. <laughs> Listen, people can't go on their holiday to the gallery at the moment because you have major news upgrading going on in the gallery at the moment. We have. So we had to take the decision recently that we had to close for a month, which, you know, after all the lockdowns, we were loath to do, but sort of, I suppose, in the best interests of health and safety and otherwise. So what are we doing, you might ask? People passing the gallery might see that there's some scaffolding on our turret and, and you, you, you might see that you know, the gates are closed. And so until the 21st of April, mm. we will be conducting investigative works. And so these are really exploring the building to see what what it's made of and this will inform the kind of the design decisions that will be made in a planning submission later this year and it's all part of our big redevelopment that was announced by government last year. So this is the first step just seeing what's it made out of and what condition is it in. It seems to have done very well. I mean how old is the building roughly? Well we it's essentially three different building phases. Yeah. So the newest was completed in 2000 and the oldest is almost 300 years old. Wow. It was constructed in 1724. So you can imagine these different parts of the buildings don't <laughs> behave well together. Yeah. It's really just trying to find out what what is the story, what needs doing, and hopefully that will cut down our time being closed from summer of next year. Okay. But we're only closed for a month, so we'll be back open on the 22nd of April. And people can come back in and they can see this painting and all of the other little pieces that put together the odysseys that you've put together. So it's funny. There's people at the moment investigating the gallery for completely different reasons. But normally we open the doors and say, come on in to investigate for yourself. And I was just looking at this this painting. As I said earlier on, it's a particular favourite of James Joyce's. Mm. And that's why you've included it in the Odysseys exhibition. Can people see it online? This is it. So I suppose it's kind of a Paris James Joyce lived in. Yeah. You know, he completed writing Ulysses there in 1922. He lived there for almost 20 years with his family. This is his Paris. So can people see it online? Of course, you can see it in our work of the week section of the website but we've also just launched a virtual tour of the Odysseys exhibition so ah. if you didn't get to see it in person now wherever you are in the world you get to come on a journey as it were with us and explore the Odyssey's exhibition on our virtual tour. That's brilliant. <laughs> so you can move through like Google Street View, you can move through, you can click on each tag to learn more about a painting and you can feel like you know, you're virtually in the space. Just go to crawfordartgallery.ie. Continue your own odyssey, if you like. In the meantime, thanks for the postcard this week. Uh, thanks a million, Connor. Bon voyage. Oh, <laughs> a bientôt. <laughs> <laughs> Well, seeing as Connor and Michael took us on a little journey there, how about going further afield, staying with Academy Award winning soundtracks and nominations? This will take us a little bit further than France, actually. It's from the soundtrack to Around the World in 80 Days.
Shachta na Gaelge de Gna, Agrian Ifig Ferbraca Gaelge, Corla Hahar Karqui, Iha Agus Kilkurim, Conor Gultur Kailura, Agus Harleen Shisha, Ihalan Karach, Imlina Afach Agus and Koga Ufasacher Schultz in Ukraine, Hakrikshiat Iha Speshilta Agru, Iha Don Ukraine, a night for Ukraine. So Bekyol Tori goes Auronid and Scott Tachto Gach Oit though in a mask, Jimmy Crowley, Nelly Cronin, John Spillan, Karen Casey, Manon the Beeb, she is Moira Nigrada, Rosalina O'Leary, Mary Mitchell Inglesby, Heather Clark, Agus Molly Nigrada, Agus Kyol Tori on Ukraine, a Willinagoni and Sa Igorkoik Freshen, Maria Lacia Glodi, Oksana Debranos, Agus Nadia Yalova, Beg Fliachdown, Erinihe, Le Theo Dorgan, Agus and Bonnicho, Erinihe, No, the Kaylee All Stars, Agus Beg Dalti, O Railskully Rieta, Agus Gailskull, and Gart Alling, Egg Shenem, Freshen Ernst Deutsche. So Beg and Target Galeer, Onihe, Adolgadi Ori, Shindi Association of Ukrainians in the Republic of Ireland, Agus is own People's Republic of Cork, a wine, Er Fedelat, Natikadia Wild. So if you'd like to go to that incredible concert for Ukraine in City Hall this Thursday night, then you have to go on to the People's Republic of Cork website to pick up the tickets. Began gig eg tosnu eg lahurteresheshacht agus tan tikedi er foil galer the kuiguro is fehe on siyavidaline People's Republic of Cork shin proc punk ie maradera na shanakal galge ni nart gacharlekele agus ar ska ekele. So Shaliv, Shalin.
Well, earlier on in the programme, we took you on a bit of a journey with the work of the week. But what happens if you turn up at the airport and you can't go any further? So, this is the theme music starring Tom Hanks from The Terminal. Thank you. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
You're listening to The Arts House on Cork's 96FM and C103. Elmer Maw and Connor Tallon with you here. And this morning, despite the tremendous musical guests we have, we're celebrating the music of the movies in honour of tonight's Oscars. So kicking off the hour, that one was taken from the soundtrack to the film The Artist, music from Ludovic Bors. Yeah, all the bright stars of the screen will be in Hollywood tonight, including our Irish nominees, and we'll be looking at those in a while. But our next guest this morning is a singer from Cork, who's now touring the States as a member of one of the biggest shows in the world. Her name is Murren O'Mahony. She's from Ballancolic and she's currently on tour with Celtic Woman. Elmarie had a chat with her during the week to find out how she's getting on with the tour and how she's coping with the enormity of being catapulted before some of the biggest audiences in the world. not just touring with a show, you're touring with one of the biggest shows in the world. You know, like Celtic Woman is this huge phenomenon and to be part of that family for part of your career is such a thrill. When did you first get the call to become part of the team? Come here to me, I've been pinching myself yeah. <laughs> since the day I found out that I got it. It's, it's, it sounds like so cliche but for particularly as like a, a performer singer growing up in Ireland kind of Celtic woman has always been I suppose a benchmark in terms of like where I was like would love to see my career going but you never really kind of consider that it could ever potentially happen so I, I did a concert I was really really lucky to do a concert with Susan McFadden and with the RT concert orchestra and she was kind enough to suggest that I should maybe get in contact with Celtic Woman and and she thought that my voice type would be kind of suitable for it. So around May last year, I had sent an email and and sent across some videos and stuff like that. And then they wanted to meet me in person. And so I flew home to Ireland, did my 14 days isolation, did the PCR tests, everything else that was required and eventually got in front of the team. And it, it honestly was just an absolute whirlwind from there I think about a week later I found out that I had gotten the job and then I think about three weeks later we were in the recording studio in Dublin recording the Postcards from Ireland album and then which I kind of was just you kind of almost have to just ride the wave because I think if I thought about it too much I would have absolutely fallen to pieces but following that then about another maybe three weeks after that we were filming around Ireland for the PBS special so it has it has taken until really I would say the last month since we've been out on tour for me to really actually believe that it's been happening because yes. obviously there's been quite a bit of time since I found out that I got the job which was last June um, and I we had the filming and the recording and stuff but I think it's now that we're out kind of on tour getting to spend so much time with the girls and the band and the dancers and everyone just on on the team has really made me feel like I'm I'm actually becoming a part of it which is which is really special and as I say it has been a pipe dream for so long so to now say that I'm actually a part of it is it doesn't even feel real to me still. And it's funny you know because with Covid obviously you went down the recording element of it first so it's it really is only now that you were a month on stage a month on tour that you're getting a chance to feel what it's like to be part of this huge phenomenon. Absolutely absolutely and do you know what's so incredible and I was only speaking about this recently like you can travel the length and breadth of Ireland in like what six to eight hours Yet there's such a huge connection to Ireland here in the US that I don't think I ever really 
considered before like the reactions from the audiences mm. it's such a such a huge love for Ireland and Irish culture and music and art and everything like that it's really really beautiful to kind of even be a part of that. But people also make a very special connection with each singer and performer in Celtic Woman, don't they? I mean, I imagine, I know across America, you have people who would have been devoted fans ever since the girls were first put together and who for each group of girls or individuals who've come and joined have sort of adopted them into the Celtic Woman family and all that sort of thing. So what's that What's that like to be inside that now? (laughs) Actually, it's quite, I think initially when I when I joined the group, I was really overwhelmed by it because it's just not something you kind of ever really consider. But the, the fan base for Celtic Woman, as you say, is so longstanding. And we have one of the original members with us now, Chloe Agnew. So she's um, back with us touring now. And there's people who are coming to the show who are kind of, we have um, some of the shows we have meet and greets beforehand. Mm-hmm. And some people are coming to her saying, I've I've been following you since you were 14. And so, yeah, to kind of be part of that like lineage now is, again, something that I don't think I fully considered, but particularly the kind of the super fans of, of Celtic Woman have really just like been so incredible and lovely and really welcoming as well. And it, and it is like a lot of the fan bases have have created almost like a little camaraderie and family amongst themselves as well, which is really beautiful. But you're so right. It's, it's kind of the whole kind of ethos, I think, behind Celtic Woman is that each of the women have their own kind of individual persona and and their kind of individuality that they kind of bring to the group. So um, to kind of like be able to do that and have kind of some bit of artistic license there as well is really special. And I just hope that people receive me as well as as all of the rest. Um, but as I say, if everyone has from the fan bases have just been so welcoming and and really the support has been incredible. Now, before we carry on talking about uh, touring in the States and filming around Ireland, for people who don't actually know you, Maureen, tell us a little bit about your journey from... I don't know, the stages of Fesh Matthew to the stages <laughs> of the States. Where what, what did you do? Yeah, very much the stages of Fesh Matthew, very on the nose there. <laughs> um, so I I suppose I was born and raised in Cork in, in Ballancolleg and went to um, Closh Column where I had some fantastic music teachers there and was always just very kind of music orientated and huge affiliation with kind of musical theatre. And then I started studying classical singing with the incredible Mary Hegarty in School of Music, where I did my BMOS degree. And then following that, I suppose I just really fell in love with with musical theatre kind of along mm-hmm. the way. And I kind of said to myself, look, if I don't take this chance I'll, and see an audition for some colleges in London, I just kind of wanted to see if it was even you know within the realms of possibility yeah. so I kind of said to myself look I'll go for it and see never really thinking that I'd actually get in anywhere but um so I auditioned for some colleges and I got accepted and I ended up going to the Royal Academy of Music in London where I did a master's in musical theatre and I think it wasn't really until then that I kind of was like okay I'm committing myself to the grind and it it very much is a grind of pursuing performing and and singing and so I've been graduated from there five years now and I've just been so fortunate to be working between the UK and Ireland just met some fantastic people along the way who really kind of guided me along the way as well and did some shows in in the Cork Opera House as well and eventually I was recommended to do by fantastic John O'Brien as well who I I always and like I say himself and Mary Hegarty and, and so many of, of these like Cork great mentors and teachers have just played such a huge part in, in my journey um, and I ended up 
working with the RT Concert Orchestra. And I think from there, that was kind of a pivotal moment for me where I got to kind of, I suppose, step into that world of, you know, working with an orchestra and kind of really considering myself as, you know, a, a singer as such, because I had obviously done my training a lot then as well in, in mm. straight acting. And it was kind of always, it was kind of like a juggle between the two, the two kind of professions. But um, once I started doing the, that concert work, I think I really started to kind of find my feet. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, kind, kind of <laughs> I have to say, I love the fact that you gave everyone a shout out from Colosh to Cullum onwards. I mean, I know, <laughs> you know, you're, you're lucky, you're, you are right. Schools like Colosh de Cullum in Ballincollig have a fantastic history and tradition of school musicals. And I know places like um, Presentation in Ballyfehan, also a huge musical school. I know the convent in Bandon, again, another school that does huge, huge school musicals and out of which careers have been born. But then, of course, obviously, Mary Hagerty. My God, she is so proud of you, isn't she? Is it one of your your teachers and mentors and a champion, (laughs) a champion of your career. But what tickled me there as you were talking was that even though you had done all of this and done all your training and gone to London and qualified and came out that it was only just then. I mean, it really is a huge kind of psychological journey, isn't it, as well, to say, okay, this is it. I am committing to the endless auditions. Yeah. This is it now. Am am I glad that whatever work you did with John O'Brien and everything made you consider that this definitely was the path to stick with? I mean, like, look at the sort of life experiences and everything that you're having now. (laughs) Having said that, I suppose... Again, this particular tour in America, is is it a, a bit more constrained than you would ordinarily be with kind of COVID restrictions? Because I imagine being on a tour like that now, going from state to state and performance to performance, that you would have some downtime in between during which you would ordinarily hope to be able to do a bit of sightseeing and travelling. And is there room for that now? Or do you kind of still have to sort of semi-cocoon in order to keep the show on the road? Um I think it is a little bit more constrained than we than we ideally would love it to be. Um, to be honest with you, our schedule is so hectic and full on that I think even if there were no restrictions, I don't know if we would have had a huge amount of time to do much anyway. We're kind of on a six shows a week schedule. And so by the time Monday rolls around, which is our only day off, we're kind of a little bit like if I leave the hotel room, I'll be I'll be lucky today. But mm. we are we're taking every precaution um, possible. We're all so we just feel absolutely haunted to even be a month into the tour now. And and thankfully, I'm touching wood as I say this, there has been no um, casualties, but we're we're testing every second day. Everyone's masked. We're bubbling kind of amongst ourselves. Yeah. And, you just got and, to. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, and, you know, I suppose it goes along with any professional performance job at the moment, doesn't it? You know, every single show yeah. depends on every single individual, and it's, it, it is kind of that Absolutely. way. We all know what it's like to be out of work for the for the best part of I know. two and a bit years. <laughs> so we're kind of we're we're kind of like whatever you need me to yes, do, yes, I will do yes. it, and we will be fine. <laughs> now, before you went off, you did mention, of course, filming and recording. And filming for, you know, a PBS special to be broadcast all across the States is a huge, huge thing. Tell me what that was like, because, again, it was probably a surreal feeling for you to be, you know, walking around and singing. But I I saw one or two of the videos of it and, you know, you have your beautiful concert dresses and I'd say your wardrobes are unreal. What was it like doing those kind of, you know. Oh, it's another thing that I actually, maybe it'll take even another couple of years for me to look back on and kind of even be like, oh my God, that was amazing. Because 
I can't tell you. So it was about three weeks, maybe even a month um, after I found out I got the job. I was in the recording studio in Dublin. Me never having set foot in a recording studio in my life. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> like, and it, just even seeing kind of like a sound desk and seeing the recording studio mm-hmm. just is only something that I myself would have seen on like TV or something exactly. like that. So yeah. that, that for one was just insane. And it was honestly the most enjoyable experience. I was terrified going in. But the minute I was in there and the team that was around us, just so supportive and just being able to kind of get back doing what we love. I just, it kind of, I was surprised at how, I suppose, comfortable and how kind of I just really fell into it and embraced it. But I think it genuinely was because I was just so grateful to be to be back doing what I love doing. But and recording then, singing is, is such, it's, it's even more of a pressure nearly than a live concert in some respects because you're trying to get everything perfect and any sort of, um, you know, that breath in between beats that happens in a live performance, there's no room for that in, in a recording. Yeah. Like, so were you all in individual booths or were you allowed to go together beat with screens between ye? This is something that we were like really proud of, I think, is that all of this was still essentially done in a lockdown period. Um, so we actually uh, had to record all of our vocals individually. So I didn't actually so really tough. meet the girl. Yeah, oh, and I, wow. so I didn't really properly meet the girls until we had had a, a lunch at one point, but we didn't properly get to kind of spend time with each other until we did the two weeks of filming around Ireland, which I can't fully describe. We had two weeks of blazing sunshine, which <laughs> never happened. So we were like, I think when they when they decided to kind of do this as as a project they were doing okay they just said okay two weeks of outdoor filming and everyone was like never gonna happen because it'll be raining it'll be it won't be possible and there wasn't a day that it wasn't blazing sun and it was just we got to go to like there were some places I'd never been to myself um, <laughs> I love it <laughs> and throughout Ireland it was amazing and because yeah. because like obviously there wasn't a huge amount of tourists around these places that would usually be thronged with people was just completely empty and we had the places to ourselves and it was just, it was magical. Like we were in hair and makeup at like 2 a.m. in the morning and we would be on site for like 5 a.m. ready to film at 6. So you get the sunrise and like you'd be in your hair, you'd be getting like eyelashes stuck to you at 2 a.m. thinking, why, why do I have to have makeup on at this hour? But then when you see the finished product of of the sunrises and and just the filmography and everything like that was just absolutely stunning and it just made it all worth it when we got to see the final product. Where was your most um, special sunrise? Because I imagine for you, particularly for the first couple of days, that's a kind of a whirlwind and there's pressure. You know, the cameras are on you, they're tracking, you're walking, you're singing along with the tracks, which I presume are playing (laughs) on speakers all around you so that you have to sing with it in order to synchronise everything for all the different shots Mm -hmm. and then go back up and walk down and do it again and film from another yeah. angle and then back up and walk down and do it again. Like from what, it's, it's it's laborious and it takes such a long time. So at what point in the filming did you actually breathe and get a chance to look around and say for yourself, wow, this is beautiful. Look where I am yeah. singing. Do you know what? There actually wasn't a day, there wasn't a day that we took for granted, I think. And it just is a testament to the the people that we are surrounded by constantly here and even on the tour I know I've said it a couple of times but we're like just the team of people are absolutely incredible but I think for me in terms of like just a real uh, surreal moment we were in the burn in County Clare and we were up at 2am doing hair and makeup and it was torrential rain and we were kind of thinking 
why are we doing this? Like, we're not going to be able to film come 6am because it's going to be too wet. Like, we were in our full dresses, everything like that. So we were like, we're not going to be able to go outside. So we, we just kept trucking on. We got our makeup hair done and we got, we're on the bus going to the burn. And I swear to you when I say I was first out to film my section and I was about to step off the bus and the rain just stopped and this like blazing sun started to come up. And because all of the, you know, it's like really kind of like galactic kind of um, stone structures around the burn yeah. and which were all covered in rainwater. So it was like reflecting the sun and it, it was just really kind of like someone was looking down on us that day, that morning because it like it was torrential rain. And the second we went to start filming, it just stopped and this like amazing sun came up and it was just I think it actually added to the overall effect of the shooting for that. It was Misha Air, I think we were recording oh, at that time. Golden. Yeah. It was fast. It was literally yeah. a golden hour, like <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Like speaking yeah. of, you know, Misha Era, I know as a a quartet, you sing and play different songs together, other songs where each of you takes a lead and you have others then where you sing solo. So do you have a choice about that or do you fall into a programme that's already devised? What are you singing solo and what are you loving? Yeah, I think I think there's some long-standing pieces from Celtic Woman. So like The Voice, Dulaman, like there's some songs that that will always be a part of the show. And and I came in in replacement of, of the incredible Mairead Carlin who would have sung Dulaman in previous shows so in some ways you're kind of handed down the songs which is actually kind of beautiful because it's almost like you're kind of taking the torch on from from the last um, person but in terms of the new album we were given these songs my my solo being uh, down by the Sally Gardens but in terms of the artistic license then it kind of really was a fantastically kind of collaborative experience um, which it's so gorgeous to kind of have that input on songs that, I mean, I, I think I learned down by the Sally Gardens on the Tin Whistle when I was in like second class or something. So it was kind of like a, a full circle moment. In what school? Where did you go to school? I went to Gwell School Rudon in Ballancolic again. <laughs> Mahu. So, but isn't that lovely? That's lovely that you have that kind of sense still of personal creativity and fulfilment and autonomy rather than simply being that you have to complete yeah. the song in this style and sing it that way that you were allowed as a performer in your own right to bring yourself and bring your own interpretation as well within this massive show, which is really lovely, I think. Yeah, and I think that kind of is what makes Celtic Woman so special. And as I, I kind of touched on it there, is kind of the individuality of each person, like each of the singers, each of the dancers, the band members have kind of, everyone has their own kind of persona within the show, which kind of I think makes it really just varied and, and kind of an exciting um, performance experience. Where are you right now and where is next on the tour schedule? <laughs> You're lucky you asked me today because it was a few days back along where I was like, I don't know where I am today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're, in, we're in Philadelphia at the moment. So we have, we started in Florida, kind of made our way up through like North Carolina into New Jersey, New York. Um, and we have come back down kind of through Virginia and we're heading onwards to uh, Massachusetts tomorrow. And how long is yeah. the tour ahead? So we are out until the beginning of June and then we have about a two months break. Then we have some shows in Derry actually and also in the INEC in Killarney in August time. So that'll be the postcards from Ireland 
show as well that we're kind of just and it's the first time actually Celtic women have performed in Ireland in a long time so it's really exciting to get back there and exciting for all your friends and your family and everything like that to be able to see the show in Ireland and not just have to buy tickets to go and see you in Boston or wherever yeah no it actually is it's really really special and I even have friends coming from the UK and uh, of course friends from school now who are kind of all organising to go to the one in INEC which is yeah you're so right if that hadn't been happening I'm not sure would they have had a chance to see it so it's it's I'm really really looking forward to those. Maureen it's just so thrilling to see your success and the joy that you're taking in it all it really is fantastic and I hope you just have the most wonderful wonderful remainder of the tour continued success to you and we'll be following along every inch of the way. Thank you so much Henry it's been such a pleasure to chat and so lovely to actually reminisce on so much of it I think it's been like kind of I'm barely even thinking about putting one foot in front of the other at the moment so to actually get a chance to actually reflect on it and even think about how how we came to be here in the first place is just lovely to do. Mind yourself, Warren. Take care. Take care. Lovely to chat. She said as long as there's no price on love, I'll say. And you wouldn't want me any other
Taken from what will always be one of the best compilation soundtracks ever assembled for a movie, I guess the quintessential sound of an era for the 60s uh, that comes from the soundtrack to Forrest Gump and it is The Birds with Turn Turn. You're listening to The Arts House on Cork's 96FM and C103 and I do hope you're enjoying our music from the movies this morning. Now somebody who is on the line and getting ready to chat to me next is an author and writer from Cork about whom I could actually well imagine having an Oscar nominated screenplay if not indeed an Oscar nod at some point for her acting either on stage or screen herself. I'm so thrilled to be talking to Irene Kelleher this morning. Good morning. Good morning. My God, that was the best introduction of my life. I know. You can have that one for free now, Irene. Get an Oscar nomination for that introduction. Brilliant. Thanks, Elmarie. Well, you are one of those women that I just think is a phenomenon. Like you are one of the kind of uh, multiple, triple threat, quadruple threats, whatever kind of threats you can nod out there. It's gas. And you know, I've spoken to you so often about different uh, plays you've been acting in. We've talked before about the plays that you have had published. You have had, I suppose, really, and this is an awfully clumsy segue, the biggest production of your life this year (laughs) since we spoke last. So congratulations on the birth of your little baby girl. Thanks so much, Elmarie. Yeah, um, Marie was 15 weeks yesterday now. So I was saying to someone yesterday, it's like, it, it feels like so long since the day of her birth, but then the weeks have just flown yeah. by. So we're obviously kept kept very busy, but it's it's absolutely wonderful. So yeah, all is going good. Thank God so far. <laughs> well, we spoke during uh, lockdown at various times and I, I was telling you back then, I loved the photos and Twitter pictures and that kind of stuff from yourself and Dennis working away at home in the office. And obviously, <laughs> while you were doing that, one of the things you were working on, besides cooking up a dote of a baby daughter was this play called Wake. I'm laughing now because my side of the office now has become the nursery. <laughs> but we'll get we'll get the full office back again. Um, yes, so one of the one of the plays was Wake, and Wake actually started as a radio play because I was meant to be doing a show in the Cork Midsummer last um, June 2021, but it couldn't go ahead because of COVID restrictions, and I didn't really it wasn't a play that would have been suitable to go online. So I decided to write uh, a of a short radio play and uh, Wake was put on with two other radio plays written by Katie Holly and the three plays went under the name Three Piece Suite. So Wake I think was about 30 or 35 minutes and it's kind of a short comedy. So it started off um, as a radio play, which is interesting because I suppose with Mary and me, I had the experience of adapting a play that was written for stage for 
radio, but with Wake, it had its beginnings as a radio play. And we recorded it um, in Cormac O'Connor's studio in the Maple Rooms, and there was other actors involved. So um, Laurel Manny did a voice, John McCarthy, Katie Holly, I think Cormac himself might have done a line or two of the priest. Um, so that's kind of was its origins. I remember yeah, at the time yeah. seeing photos of you all um, gathered for the recording, and they were just amazing. I loved it. It was like a band picture oh, or something. Yeah. yeah, what a happy troop. Happy troop. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So then um, I, I suppose it went on and um, went on in the midsummer and all went very well. And then I was working a lot with um, with Jeff Gould, um, director and dramaturg and obviously runs the, the Fit Up festivals as well. And Jeff is dramaturg on another play I'm working on. But he ran um, a radio festival uh, last year instead of doing the North Cork fit-up because mm-hmm. COVID numbers were very high. So I sent him Wake as a radio play, thinking, you know, that it might be part of the radio plays he was putting on. But he read it and he got back to me and he said, I love it, but I actually think it's suitable for a stage play. Like he said, I can really see it working as a play and that there's a lot of kind of theatricality in it and I really think it would work. So then Jeff um, came on board as dramaturg Thank God we got um, Arts Council funding, which was great to kind of change it and give us give us um, more work to turn it into a play as such. And we worked on that back and forth for a while, and then we turned it into an hour long um, an hour long stage play and, and a one woman show. So basically, the story follows Lily, and she is at her mother's wake. So her mother has just died. She's an only child, and it sounds very funny saying, you know, it's about a girl whose mother's just died, and it's about the wake, but it's a comedy. But it is a comedy. <laughs> and the reason it's a comedy is that sometimes I think in the darkest times we find humour or the only way to get through something is humour and I also think it's a very Irish thing and even the whole concept of awake um, it is that kind of thing that, that, that will get us through it and having community around and having friends around and that those people will you know get us through the darkest times and it's also the kind of crazy, I, I use the word pantomime of it all, that um, it's the wor- obviously the worst time in a person's life, but your house is overflowing with people and there's apple pies and there's, you know, cocktail sausages and ham sandwiches and the whole thing. And it's like this whirlwind of madness. Um, but in a way, it, it kind of gets you through it. And I suppose there's also an element of comedy equals tragedy plus time. And yes. the main character, Lily, yeah. hasn't actually, it hasn't really hit her yet that her mother has died. So she is, and she says this one most important line, like tonight is just about getting through it. And it's and the whole play, I suppose, takes place in real time. It's, it's during the wake. Um, so it's not a play, you know, a, a lot of one person shows are, you know, they, they go back over years and they go back over that this is kind of happening in in real time. Mm-hmm. So um so that's the the main kind of story of it. And then her dad 
there's a line that, uh, you know, I'm the daughter that can't cope with the, the dead and my dad can't cope with the living. So it's that kind of um, scenario in the house. The dad wants to lock himself away and the daughter wants to surround herself with people. And the mother was kind of the glue that held them together. And the kind of question is now that like, they feel that they're kind of both at sea and how are they going to communicate? But um, the comedy of it is all the the characters of, That's of the it. week. Because like, yeah. I love how you've set the scene and, and and I think the line, loads of people will relate to the fact that when you are in the initial throes of a family funeral, particularly the funeral of a parent, you do kind of find yourself saying that to yourself, you know, just get through it, just get through it. Mm. And yeah. But there's that sense of detachment and surrealness about the whole thing as well, which opens the door for sorts of inappropriate comments to be had or <laughs> things to be said. And, and sometimes then we, we need need to let ourselves go and laugh and, and enjoy that those kind of crazy moments as well. You've set the scene brilliantly for, for her, Lily and her dad, but it's not just the two of them. That's the thing. Everybody else turns up and Lily gets on with some people and she doesn't yeah, get on exactly. with others. The village descends uh, as such, and um, and there's ca- there's a character that she's been in three of my plays, um, Bridget Fogarty. Um, <laughs> I know <laughs> I've seen as well, and it's that kind of that kind of nature of things. Like obviously, um, there is my I lost my own father a couple of years ago, and I have that experience of of grief. But um, the play is is definitely not. Uh, autobiographical and I think that's important to say as well because sometimes especially if people know you they might assume oh um, that that it might be but I th- I don't think I'll ever write anything autobiographical mm. for two reasons first of all I don't think my life is interesting enough <laughs> for it to be uh, autobiographical because I think we all might feel our own lives are very interesting but really drama is is life with the dull bits cut out. I probably misquoted that now, but that's essentially what drama is. So, and I think the second reason is, I think if I ever wrote something completely autobiographical, I'd find it very hard to write the next play after it. Like if Mm -hmm. I put all something that was really, um, you know, telling my own life, I kind of think, well, well, that's done now. So it's, it's not autobiographical. It is fiction, obviously, because I've, you know, I don't know what the word you say, gone through grief. Um, I I have that experience. But um, the play, if I was to sum up the play, I, I think it's about grief and love and family and that ultimate need for, for connection. But it's all th- told through a comedic lens. And it, it is that pantomime of the wake. And then, you know, she, she meets her, I suppose, somebody she had a bit of puppy love with when she was uh, younger, her young, her neighbour down the road. She sees him again and she's kind of lonely and she thinks, right, I might start something up here. So she sneaks down to the bedroom to change her top because she thinks (laughs) the top she's wearing at the moment won't won't get him going. So it's that kind of of thing. And obviously underneath it all, underneath all the laughs. I know desperate sadness of missing her mother and every now and then the mother's voice comes into it and a very important thing that her mother used to always remind her is to be yourself because I think Lily was always trying to be somebody else and when she was a child her mother got her a bee mug a a mug with a bee on it saying be yourself and during the wake Lily is um, people think she's drinking tea in it but she's knocking back wine so as the hour goes on she gets more and more (laughs) drunk on wine as well so there's all all that going on but um, yeah so underneath 
you know, bubbling under the surface is, is that raw grief um, that is touched on every now I don't and then. want you to give anything else away, Irene, because I really <laughs> want people to, to enjoy it. But I think I think you've given everyone enough of an idea there. And the thing is, you're in the Cork Arts Theatre just this week. Uh, I know you've had such a, a really actually a lovely kind of mini run to kind of roll it out again in the North Cork Fit Up Festival, which was lovely to see. But um, and, and the West Cork Fit Up. So I did yes. the West Cork Fit Up when I was 20 weeks pregnant. And then the North Cork Fit up uh, when Marie was 10 weeks. So Jeff Gould said, God, I've given Marie all her breaks, <laughs> all her, her <laughs> drama acting breaks so far. But um, it, this is the first time, I suppose, where we have a full um, scale production. We have lights and um, there's video design as well. And we have a great team. Obviously, Jeff Gould is directing Cormac O'Connor's on sound and video. Steve Neal is lighting design and David Dummigan um, the set design. So there's, uh, there's a great team on board so it's the kind of first time that there's a full production of it really with, with all that design elements um, and it's only running for five nights and the first night is is full but there's tickets for the other four from Wednesday till Saturday Wishing you so much joy with it Irene Thank you so, <laughs> Thank much. You so much Thanks a million The play is called Wake It stars and is written by Irene Kelleher and it uh, runs for as she said from Tuesday through until Saturday Tickets only available from Wednesday at the Cork Arts Theatre. You can check out all the details online, corkartstheatre.com. Styles keep a changing, the world's rearranging, but Edna, you're timeless to me. Hemlines are shorter, a beer across the quarter, but time cannot take what comes free. You're like a stinky old cheese, babe Just getting riper with age You're like a fatal disease, babe But there's no cure, so let this fever rage Some folks can't stand it, say time is a bandit But I take the opposite view Cause when I need a lift Time brings a gift Another day with you A twist or a waltz It's all the same schmaltz With just a change in the scenery You'll never be old hat That's that You're timeless to me Oh, we'll brawl of you Feds keep a-fading Castro's invading But Wilbur, you're timeless to me Hairdos are higher, mine feels like barbed wire, but you say I'm chic as can be. You're like a rare vintage ripple, a vintage they'll never forget. So pour me a teeny weeny triple, and we can toast that we ain't dead yet. I can't stop eating, your hairline's receding, and soon you'll have nothing at all. So you'll wear a wig while I roast a pig. Hey, pass that teratol. Glenn Miller had brass, the chubby checkers a gas, but they all pass eventually. You'll never be passe, hip hooray, you're timeless to me.
to me. You'll always be first string. Ring a ding ding. You're, You're timeless, timeless to me. You're timeless to me. You're timeless to me. You're timeless to me. Oh, I have such fantastic memories of seeing the show Hairspray in Cork Opera House. So a big shout out this morning to all our musical theatre family in Cork. And that's a piece, of course, from the soundtrack to the movie starring John Travolta and Christopher Walken singing there. Now, tonight's Oscars are still a little unpredictable as mm-hmm. within the last few days, a few guests like Kenneth Branagh and Kieran Hines have tested COVID positive. So right up until the last minute, there is no sure way of knowing who will be going down the red carpet. And I'm really disappointed, especially for Kieran Hines as his first nomination would have been his first chance to be there, which is such a pity. Yeah, but it's great to see Jessie Buckley getting the recognition. Mm, She's yes. nominated in a role for The Lost Daughter. And yeah, we're just so excited for her. Absolutely. <laughs> and Van Morrison has been nominated for his song written for the soundtrack for Branagh's movie Belfast. The song is called Down to Joy. And here it is. Coming down to joy What did I see? What did I hear? When I was coming down Had a brand new story But I was coming down to joy Felt so good Gratitude When I was coming down Something quite, quite profound Then I cried out loud I heard a brand new story I was coming down to joy She was standing there before me 
We hope you've enjoyed this morning's show. And don't forget, you can get it all on the podcast again in about a half an hour. OK. In the meantime, have a zippity-doo-dah week. <laughs> and we'll chat to you next Sunday when we've the Everyman Sunday Songbook team live in studio to celebrate Doris Day's 100th birthday. Chat to you then. <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.